Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Only Christ can truly heal broken people. My second point would be to see a great hindrance to the work of the gospel. Let's think of this first one. Only Christ can truly heal broken people. And so this woman is, in verse 16, there's a woman here, a certain damsel, a girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, which met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Now, I'm using this as an illustration of brokenness. Because to some extent, we are all broken. We're all broken and ruined by the fall, every one of us. Uh, As is the world in which we live. We live in a broken world. And the next person that we encounter in the narrative here is certainly broken. She is a mentally ill slave girl. I bear that phrase in mind. And the contrast with Lydia couldn't be more stark. Lydia, a woman of great possessions, a woman with a house, a woman with a household, a woman with servants, a woman with a business, a woman who is well known, a woman of of high society who has come to Christ. But right now what we've got is the very opposite end of the social spectrum. A woman who is broken, a woman who is in the gutter, a woman who is in the filth of society. And this incident in itself will teach us a very important truth, that our Lord Jesus saves people no matter what their social status may be. And no matter what this society may think of them, and no matter what their monetary value may be, or no matter what influence they have in this broken world. Let's think clearly about this incident. Let's see the story. The story of this woman's found in Acts 16, verse 16 forward. And we don't know this girl's name. We're not even told. In fact, we're not even told if she had a name. She was just a damsel, just a woman, just a slave. You can imagine her master's. They didn't care about her name. They bought her in a slave market. They probably just referred to her as slave. That's all you are. You're just a slave. You haven't even got a name. It doesn't matter who you are. She'll have been bought and sold in slave markets. She will have been physically abused. She will have been sexually abused. She will have been emotionally abused. She will have been flogged and beaten until the balance of her mind is greatly disturbed. Now, in her tormented state, we're told that she practices some form of divination. A woman, a girl, a damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination. The word seems to suggest here that she spoke out of an elated state. 
I don't know, maybe she was hearing voices in her head and she spoke those out to those who listened. One translation said that it was a demonic spirit claiming to foretell the future and discover hidden knowledge. The, the word divination here in the Greek text is simply the word pythos. A mystical spirit, a reference to a so-called mystical spirit who guarded the temple of the false god Apollo at Delphi. Later would have become more familiarly used of someone who was actually a ventriloquist. Someone who could project their voice so it seemed to be coming from somewhere else. And as the missionaries went about the town, this slave girl is following them. And she's crying out, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And Paul becomes concerned about this. If you look down in the text in verse 17, the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days, but Paul being grieved. You'd wonder about that, wouldn't you? Paul was concerned. And yet what this woman was saying, of course, was quite true in the sense that they are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. But for the Greek audience listening, that would have been ambiguous. She wasn't pointing them to Christ. She wasn't saying that these men are the servants of Christ. She was talking about the Most High God. And to the Jews, of course, the Most High God is the one and only God of heaven, Jehovah. But to a Greek That phrase would mean something entirely different. It would be used of Zeus, the chief deity, in the Greek pantheon of gods. And it needs to be clarity. Paul couldn't have that. He doesn't want anyone to misunderstand the gospel. There is only one God. And we can't have this woman walking around confusing the issue. Even if what she's saying is true, it's not The fact that she's saying something that's true, it's the fact that other people may hear what she's saying and because it has no clarity to it, misunderstand her. So Paul's greatly upset, greatly annoyed, and he turns and he says to this spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very same hour. Now, why do I say that this woman was suffering from mental illness? It's not just my aversion to charismatic thought. So when I look at this, you might think to yourself, well, he just is saying she's mentally ill because he doesn't want to face the fact that she is demonically possessed. But yet the Bible says here, that she was possessed by a spirit and that he came out of her. Now, in my anxiety to avoid charismatic thought, I'm not for one minute denying that illness, mental illness or physical illness, has, let me put this carefully, some form of demonic roots, 
because illness came into the world along with sin. You see, there was no sickness in Eden. For the spirit of divination here, please don't be thinking of a little horn monster with green skin and a red tail. What's happening here is that this woman is not in control of her own mind. She is possessed, and yet she has been dispossessed of her own mind. Don't think of this necessarily as a supernatural infestation. Don't be thinking about the exorcist or the omen here. Think of this as someone who is laboring under the curse of the fall and its effects. Now, let me give you a modern example of that. In January, which seems like a long time ago now, I officiated at a funeral service of a young man. Well, when I say young, he was in his late 40s. But when you're my age, that's young. He'd been a serving soldier in the army for 16 years. He'd served his country proudly and with great distinction. He'd retired from the army with commendation and he'd settled down to civilian life. And he'd met another young lady. He had got a good job. They had raised a family. But in his army life, he'd served in some very dangerous and very volatile circumstances. He'd seen terrible things. He'd been in the Middle East. Thoughts of it continued with him. He couldn't control those thoughts. He was not in possession of his own mind. His mind was possessed by his experiences. And he would wake screaming in the middle of the night after dreadful nightmares. And the imbalance of his mind became so great that one day he took an overdose of tablets and he lay down on his bed and he waited for his nightmares to end. And he was found there by a wee girl of five years of age who's now also mentally scarred because of the brokenness and the sinfulness of this world. Now, will you not agree with me that that's the devil's work? Isn't it? That's the devil's work. Just as certainly as war itself, just as certainly as pestilence and plague and cancer and heart disease and murder and envy and hatred and evil. The Greeks had a very strange attitude to mental illness, mental breakdowns. The Greeks thought that people like this girl had been gifted by the gods. That the gods had taken away, reached down into their head and taken away their mind and replaced it with the mind of the gods themselves so that through her incoherent ramblings she could speak to them. And the superstitious people at Philippi would have thought that this poor demented woman with her irrational mutterings, was able to tell fortunes. 
So her owners, her slave owners who had purchased her, they had a business proposition. They would hire her out at a price. If you paid enough, you could listen to her ranting. I have no doubt you would hear something that could be applied to your own situation. And it turns out it was a very profitable enterprise indeed. She brought her masters much gain. Only Jesus can heal broken people. Here's the good news. For we're all broken. Sin has affected all of our minds and our hearts and our bodies. Even the best of us, even the most worthy of us, even the most religious of us, everything is broken in this world. The good news is that in the name of Jesus, this woman is cured of her illness. Look again at the scriptures. I command thee, verse 18, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. We have to think not so much of the woman's illness now, but of what cured her. She's cured very simply in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of Satan is broken and defeated. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 3, you will see there that he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and put a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more. The devil is a defeated foe. He's defeated at Calvary. At the name of Jesus there is salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is it any wonder that in the periods of persecution at Jerusalem, the Jewish authorities forbade the first apostles from preaching in the name of Jesus? In Acts chapter 4 and verse 18, they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. When we proclaim the name of Christ, we are partaking in the apostolic work, declaring the only way of salvation for mankind. All of our preaching and our witnessing, all of our services that we hold must be Christocentric. They must point to Christ. Only Christ is the answer. And so powerful was the message the declaring of the name of Jesus, that the girl was set free from her sickness of mind that very hour. Incidentally, it's our job as churches. It's the church's job to minister to those with troubled, dispossessed minds. The modern response to mental illness, I suppose, in some denominations, would be to open our doors to therapeutic strategies, to have self-help groups, to have therapists, AA groups, counselling sessions, all well and good, but a community centre can do them just as easily. 
church's task is to proclaim the name of Jesus to lost sinners and to do so boldly and with confidence to do it unapologetically it is the Lord in Psalm 147 it is the Lord that builds up Jerusalem it is the Lord who gathers together all the outcasts of Israel it is the Lord who heals the brokenhearted and who binds up their wounds so this girl with all her brokenness has been delivered in the name of Jesus. But there was a great hindrance. Let's see, finally, a great, it's my second point, a great hindrance to gospel work, a great hindrance to the proclamation of that saving name, the saving name of Jesus. So what is this hindrance that we see here? get a hint of it. For a girl has been rescued and wonderfully delivered and a great work has been done. Paul has done a good thing, hasn't he? We should be praising the Lord. He has rescued a soul from sin and distress. But look at verse 19. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace onto the rulers. What's the hindrance here? Self-interest. Isn't it? It's all about me. The opposition to the gospel lay in the wicked heart of these slave owners who cared more about themselves their own sinful pleasure and their desire for worldly attainment than about the distress of someone else who needed mending. Self-interest. Masters of the demented slave girl were so incensed with the loss of income that they took drastic action, devilish action. They bore false witness in verse 20. They brought them to the magistrates, saying these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. They displayed their hatred of Judaism. They talked about, they referenced their own cultural pride in verse 21. They teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. They resorted to mob action in verse 23. They rose up multitudes uh, against them. In verse 23 again, the magistrates ripped their clothes off them and commanded them to be beaten with rods and they laid many stripes upon them. Verse 23. And they wrongly imprisoned them, cast them into prison, commanded the jailer to keep them safely, to have them, that's not keep them safely in the sense of caring for them, it's keeping them securely, keeping them locked up. He thrust them, verse 24, into the inner prison and made their feet firm in the stocks and we'll see what that meant in a couple of weeks' time. 
Self-interest is always incompatible with the Christian life. These people were only interested in themselves and their profit. But the Christian life is not about me. And it's not about what I can get out of life. It's the very opposite. For Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross every day and follow me. Self-interest always leads to ungodliness and putting ourselves first. And putting God and the gospel well down our list of priorities. And even in the church, one of the greatest hindrances to the proclamation of the message is people who are only concerned about themselves. Anyway, time has gone. And another soul has been rescued in Philippi. And the effects of the gospel and changing lives is, is not always appreciated by the watching world. And now the apostles are being persecuted once again. And Paul and Silas are in the Philippian jail and they're fast bound in chains and they're in the deepest dungeon. And the story of what happens next is truly legendary.